Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time uh, to gather together, uh, to learn from your word. And we thank you so much that you give us great wisdom from your word, wisdom that's applicable to life and wisdom that um, is effective and useful. We pray that you would bless us to learn and to grow. And we thank you for your grace and amen. amen. All right, so today's sermon, we're starting a mini-series today. Uh, it'll probably be two parts, maybe three but it's called The Importance of Balance in Relationships. And my main point with it is that there's a number of areas where we as Christians are called to have balance in relationships. But a lot of us, a lot of times, tend to lean just one way or just the other way. So we've got like seven or eight areas we're going to look at where the Bible calls us to have a balance and not just one thing or the other. So the first area of balance that we need to have in relationships is overlooking versus confronting. So the Bible talks about overlooking offenses, and it also talks about confronting people, and they're both biblical. And I, you know, I'm sure you've met people who just like always overlook everything, and they believe that's the Christian way to do things. And we've also met people who just always confront people over everything. Um, but let's look at some verses. Let's look at a few verses that talk about how the importance of overlooking offense. So let's look at Proverbs 19, verse 11. Good sense makes one slow to anger. It is a person's glory to overlook an offense. Let's also look at Matthew 5, 38 through 40. So this is, you know, Jesus talking in the Beatitudes. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if, I, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you for your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. That sounds a lot like overlooking. That doesn't sound very confrontative. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Someone wants to steal my tunic and I give them my cloak. Um, Jesus was a great example of overlooking offense. I think the greatest example of him overlooking offense can be found in Luke 23, 33, and 34. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left, and there were criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Jesus could have confronted them and said, why are y'all murdering me? I'm the son of God. Don't murder. Murder is bad. But he didn't. He said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. But there's also a good bit in the Bible that talks about confronting and not just overlooking an offense. Now, I'm not saying not forgiving. You always have to forgive. Confronting does, overlooking involves forgiving, but so does confronting. You don't get to not forgive people, ever as a Christian. But let's look at some verses that talk about confronting. 
Leviticus 19, 17 through 18. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with him. I just love how it contrasts hating your brother in your heart and reasoning frankly with him. Like hating your brother versus confronting him. It compares them as opposites. But if we read on, we'll get a bit more context. And then it says, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge. So on one hand, you have bearing a grudge, being bitter. On the other hand, you have confronting the person in a godly way. And those are opposites. So you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Let's look at Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So this is in the context of you know, how to handle disputes or disagreements or offense within the church. Um, and it goes further than that. But I want to focus on just this one, this verse. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. So we see that confronting is biblical, as is overlooking. And just as Jesus is a great example of overlooking, he's also a great example of confronting. Let's look at John 2, 13 through 17. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to the temple. And in the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. Uh, We know from other books they were specifically selling in the court of the Gentiles because they didn't value the court of the Gentiles as having a purpose, basically. And Jesus didn't like that. So continuing in verse 15, and making a whip of cords, he drove them all out from the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away and do not make my father's house a house of trade. And his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. That's, that's some confrontation right there. So, you know, don't think to yourself, I, as a Christian, I always have to turn the other cheek. I always have to overlook. I never, uh, I have to let people walk all over me. That's what love is. That's not biblical. We're called to have balance. So, um, speaking of balance, I think if, you, if we always overlook offense all the time, that's probably a problem. And if we always confront people over every single thing all the time, that's probably a problem. We need to have balance. There's a time for each. I want to take some time to look at some of the, the downfalls or the... Um, consequences of being imbalanced in this area. So let's look at uh, what can happen, some of the 
um, cons of overlooking too much. Number one is you might be enabling other people to not grow. Sometimes we need confrontation in order to grow. David needed confrontation in order to grow. Um, You know, he lived a year at least in rebellion to God after committing adultery with Bathsheba and murdering her husband. And the sense that I get from reading it is that if Nathan didn't confront him, he wouldn't have repented. We all need confrontation in order to grow sometimes. So if, if you never confront people, you're probably enabling them to grow. I mean, to not grow. <laughs> Another um, negative side effect of you know, overlooking too much or too often is it's easy to be making room for bitterness in your own heart. So I find that... Um, Sometimes, you know, someone will do something against me that makes me upset. And if I don't talk to them about it at all, it's very easy for me to start to get bitter about it. But if I just tell them that it upsets me, even if they don't change, I feel better about it. If you just overlook things all the time and you never tell your brother his fault, if you never confront people, if you never confront those in your life, it it can really lead to bitterness. On the other hand, we could be, you know, confronting people too much. One thing, if you got into the habit of just confronting everyone over every little thing, um you might start meddling in other people's lives. Let's look at Proverbs 26, verse 17. Whoever meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. I feel like that's somewhat of an overlooked verse in the book of Proverbs. You know, there's a time and place for everything. And if, if you see two strangers having a dispute and you try to get involved, you probably shouldn't. It's not your business. So that, you know, meddling with other people, that can be one thing that might happen if, if we're, you're too prone to confront people. Another thing, uh, you know, you might make the person you're confronting angry if you confront them unnecessarily. People tend to, even though being confronted is often good, people tend to not like it. We also might get into the habit of confronting people at the wrong time. It's not always a good time to confront someone. Or you could get into the habit of just being insensitive. You just have a mindset of, oh, I always confront people, and you don't really think about what they're going through or whether or not it's a good time or what they need. So we need to have a balance. There's times to overlook an offense and just let it slide, and there's times to confront people.
So what would the ideal balance be? The ideal balance would just be to respond appropriately to each, each situation, which varies by situation. Could someone turn the temperature down a little bit? So I, I tried to think of like some guidelines of when it's probably a good idea to overlook something and when it's probably a good idea to confront something. So these are just guidelines, but hopefully they're helpful. All right, so when you should probably overlook something, just let it slide and not confront the other person. Uh, number one, if it's a matter of opinion and it's not driving you to be bitter. Or if it's something that's within their right to do and you're not bitter about it. So let's say I have a neighbor who plays country music kind of loud. I'm not the biggest fan of country music. Um, there's nothing wrong with it. It's no sin. It's just not my favorite. But um, that might upset me if my neighbor is playing country music really loud and I'm like trying to focus or something. But playing music loud is within their right to do. It's not wrong. They can do that if they want. And it might upset me. So at that point, if it's not making me bitter, or especially if I can do something about it, it's probably not worth confronting them over. It would probably be more loving to them to just say, it's their right to do that. I play loud music too. They can do it. I'll let it slide. So if it's like not something that's objectively wrong, and it's not driving you to be bitter, then you should, prob you should probably just overlook it. Or uh, the second guideline I have, if it only happened once and it probably won't happen again, unless it's severely harmful. Um, you know, if, if Teresa showed up late to a date we had planned, but she like never shows up late and she'll probably not do it again, it's probably not worth confronting her over. I should probably just let it slide. But you know, if Teresa like ran over my toe with her car or something by accident, I should probably talk to her about that because it's severely harmful. <laughs> but yeah, if it, if it only happened once and it probably won't happen again, unless it's severely harmful to you or the other person or someone else, it's probably worth overlooking. Uh, third thing, third reason it might be better to overlook something, uh, if you don't think confronting them about it will be good for them. I don't, um, yeah, if you have some reason to think that it wouldn't be good for them, then you probably shouldn't do it. So, kind of opposite reasons to those are the next slide, when you probably should confront someone. First one, if it is causing you to be bitter. So if it's something that isn't wrong of the other person to do, then you should probably try to overlook it. But if you've tried to just overlook it, and you're getting bitter about it, and you've tried to just let it slide, but you're having a hard time with it, and you're getting bitter, you should probably talk to them about it and tell them that it's upsetting you. 
Because, you know, Leviticus 19.17 says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart or bear a grudge, but you shall reason frankly with him. If, it, if you're trying to overlook it and it's causing you to be bitter, you should talk to them about it. Because you can't just be bitter. That's not an option. That's not a valid option for a Christian. You can overlook it, or you can talk to them about it, but you can't be bitter about it. Second reason, uh, if you think it'll probably happen again, that might be a good reason to talk to them about it. You know, um, if I have, if I frequently meet with someone and they're frequently late to whatever I plan to do with them, I should probably talk to them about it. They'd probably be better off, you know, realizing that time is important and not being late to things all the time. But again, if a person's late to something once, that's not really worth confronting them about. You're so late, I can't believe you showed up late. You have no respect for my time. Like, that's not worth it if they're just like late to something once. So if you think so, it'll probably happen again. Or the third reason, if you have reason to think they'd be better off being confronted about it. You know, maybe you know a person who's close to you and they have like poor spending habits and it's getting to the point where it's negatively affecting their life. They'd be better off being confronted about it. So that's a real important one to take into account. Would they be better off if you confronted them about it? All right, uh, let's get into the next six. Uh, things to keep in mind when, um, when choosing whether or not to overlook something or to talk to someone to confront them about it. So number one, it's very important we don't get bitter. That's just one of the most key things. You, As a Christian, you always have to forgive them. Christ commands it. Christ doesn't give exceptions. Let's look at um, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Do not sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. So I was reading this in the NLT, and I, I just liked the way it's worded, because, you know, don't let your anger control you. You have to control your anger. You know what you can't control? Whether or not the sun goes down. I'm hoping we make daylight savings time permanent, which is being voted on. But um, we might be able to, you know, forget about daylight savings time, but we can't keep the sun from going down. So if you've got two options, you can stay angry or you can stop the sun from going down. I'd recommend you not stay angry. (laughs) 
But yeah, if you're having trouble like not being angry about it, then you should try to think of an appropriate way to confront or talk to the other person about it. Second thing that I would say we should keep in mind. I don't rebuke other people for moral matters that are just your opinion. Let's look at Romans 14, verse 3. So this is, uh, you know, Romans 14. Paul is talking about um, some people are willing to eat meat and some people aren't. This is... um, you know, something that was happening in the Roman church because of Jewish law. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So if there's an issue that's known to be an issue that isn't black and white, and they disagree with your opinion on what the right thing to do is, don't rebuke them for that. One thing that I think we tend to not think about this passage. um, So if you're the type of person who would think that eating meat is wrong because of the Jewish law, um, then it would almost seem strange to not rebuke another person for it. Because how can you know whether or not it's right or wrong? To me, an implication of this is if somebody else is doing something you think is wrong, but they think it's right and they're obeying Christ in their heart, they're submitted to Christ as Lord in their heart, then you shouldn't condemn them as if they're being rebellious to God, even if they are wrong. Because how could you actually know for certain which one's right and wrong? If someone um, you know, is genuinely surrendered to God and it's like a sin out of ignorance, don't condemn them as if they're in rebellion against God. All right, I wanted to have a short section on how to confront others well, or how to initiate confrontation well. Number one, uh, be gracious. This is very key. No one, well, for one thing, we're commanded to be gracious to each other, to be loving to each other, but, you know, for two, no one likes, most people don't like being confronted at all. Surely no one likes being confronted in a non-gracious way. We're always called to be gracious. We should be loving when we confront others. It's not an excuse to just vent our anger at them. Number two, find a good time. You know, not every time is a good time to deal with something. If, um, if you and your friend planned on seeing a movie and they're, um, you know, 10 minutes late, and you're missing the first 10 minutes of the movie, it's probably not a good idea to start a 20-minute conversation with them about them being late, because <laughs> you miss even more of the movie. <laughs> I'm sure I could have came up with a better example if I put more time into it, but 
you know, not all times are a good time to confront. Sometimes you have to choose that I am going to talk to this person, I am going to address this issue, but not now. Sometimes you need to plan a time. Number three, stick to the point. So when you're talking to someone, when you're addressing an issue with them, don't make it about like 10 different things. Don't get off track. Stick to the point. Number four, if you might be wrong, try to word it that way. Um, you know, sometimes I might be addressing an issue with someone and I say, I think that, um, that you were treating me this way. Or I, um, it's hard to think of a good example. So when Teresa and I were dating, um, sometimes there was a season in her life when she was very busy and we didn't get to hang out much. And to me, it kind of seemed like she didn't care about spending time with me. But I didn't like outright say, babe, you don't care about spending time with me. That would be rude. Because I don't know that. And moreover, I'm probably wrong. She probably does care and is just very busy. So when I decided it got to the point where I needed to talk to her about it, I said, it seems like, uh, it feels like you don't care as much about spending time with me. So if you might be wrong, be sure to word it that way. You don't want to come across as accusational. Don't just accuse people of things. Think about it. Like, you... You might think this person is doing this thing, and they might be and they might not be. Some things aren't black and white like that. Fifth thing, don't accuse them of being malicious. So if, you know, you and your friend are going out to a movie and they show up late and you've decided you should address it with them, don't tell them, you, you were late to this because you wanted me to miss it. Like... I mean, that is somewhat possible, that's plausible, but it's unlikely, and moreover, you don't know that. Don't assume the other person's motive. Don't accuse them of being malicious. And my last point, um, if it isn't something that's objectively wrong, it's just something that bothers you, be sure to communicate that and be polite about it. So let's say I have a neighbor, let's say a few months from now when baby is born, we have a neighbor that plays really loud music. And if baby is trying to sleep and they're playing really loud music, I might talk to them about it. But what I would say, I wouldn't say, this is just wrong. You need to repent of playing loud music. <laughs> I went and tell them that, because it's not objectively wrong. I would say, hey, I have a baby, they're trying to sleep. I would appreciate it if you would turn down the music, because they don't have to, it's not wrong. It's just something that I would like them to do. So if, if that's the case, you should communicate that, and you should be polite about it. So that is um, the, air, the issue of overlooking versus confronting. It's an area we're called to have balance in. 
The next one I want to look at is being gentle versus being firm. Sometimes you need to be gentle with people, and sometimes you need to be firm. And sometimes you need to be both. And both are biblical. Let's look at Proverbs 15, verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Let's look at Philippians 4, verse 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all people. The Lord is near. So, you know, there's verses that talk about we should be gentle. And um, we also see that Christ was gentle. Let's look at Matthew 11, verse 29. Take my loke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. But there's also times where you need to be firm. Let's look at Titus 1, 12 and 13. You know, uh, so Paul left Titus at Croatia, I think, um, is what it's called, and he was there to set up elders and to train elders. But anyways, Paul was telling him in his letter, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. He didn't say rebuke them gently. He said rebuke them sharply. So even though gentleness is, you know, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's something we should have, but not every time is the time to be gentle. Paul said to rebuke them sharply. Jesus was gentle, but he wasn't He didn't always act gentle with people. Let's look at Matthew 23, verses 13 through 36. This is my great example of Jesus being gentle. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut the kingdom of heaven in front of people, and you don't even enter it yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, that's nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he's obligated. You fools, you blind men, which is more important, the gold of the temple or the temple that sanctified the gold? And you say, whoever swears by the altar, that's nothing. But whoever swears by the offering that is on it is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, the one who swears by the altar swears by both the altar and everything on it. And the one who swears by the temple swears both by the temple and him who dwells in it. And the one who swears by heaven swears both by the throne and him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. 
But these things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish so the outside may become also clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but in the inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. So you too outwardly appear righteous, but inwardly are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous. And you say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would have not been partnering with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of guilt of your fathers. You snakes, you offspring of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you will fall the guilt of the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Gentle. (laughs) So Jesus was quite, quite firm with that one. As he should have been. Jesus loved the Pharisees. Jesus wanted them to come to repentance. They didn't, but being firmly rebuked was their best chance of coming to repentance. Jesus told them what they needed to hear because Jesus loved them. Unfortunately, they didn't listen. They were like living in serious hypocrisy and very comfortable with it. They didn't need like a light, gentle rebuke like, hey guys, I think this might kind of be a problem maybe. I think, I think you should reconsider something here. That's not what they needed. They needed to be told straight up. So sometimes Christ was gentle and sometimes Christ was firm. So let's, let's look at some of the consequences of being imbalanced in these areas, in this area. Number one, uh, being too gentle. So this might cause you to not communicate how serious the situation is. Uh, it can also, number two, not being effective. Um, you know, sometimes in order to be effective, you need to be firm with people. If you have kids, you know it. Sometimes you have to be firm with them. And, you know, the third thing, similar, uh, being too gentle might lead to the other person ignoring you. Because sometimes people just need to be told something firmly or they won't listen. On the other hand, there can be downsides of uh, being too firm, such as causing the other person unnecessary grief. Let's actually look at a passage um, 
that kind of hits on that a bit. Second uh, Corinthians seven eight through ten. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a little while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So, at one point, you know, in a previous letter, Paul had to rebuke the Corinthians. And he had to, like, convey how serious the situation was. And at one point, uh, he actually regretted causing them grief by it. He thought that he caused them unnecessary or unbeneficial grief, which is something that, you know, could be possible if we're, like, more firm than we need to be or should be. That's a risk you take. But in this case, you know, that's not how it went. It was good they did understand the seriousness of the situation and they repented and they were better off. A uh, second potential downside of being too firm is, um, you know, you might lose some relationships. You, you don't want to be harsh or unnecessarily firm. You don't want to be too firm with people. You know, it says in the verse we looked at in Proverbs, a harsh word stirs up anger. A harsh word stirs up anger. There's a balance we need to have. Um, If you're too firm with people, uh, you might run into the other person not receiving what you have to say just because you're so um, firm with them about it. You might turn people off. They might not want to listen to you. They might think this guy's just, you know, a jerk. He doesn't actually care about my situation. Or if you get into the habit of just only being real firm and serious with people all the time, you might be insensitive and not actually thinking about what the other person's going through. So there's, you know, there's downsides to being imbalanced. We need to be gentle and firm. We need a balance. You don't want to be imbalanced. So some things to keep in mind. Um, In order to have the right balance in a given situation, you should ask yourself a few questions. Number one, this one's the most important. Does the other person understand how serious the situation is? This is the biggest determining factor of, you know, how gentle versus firm you should be. Does the other person understand how serious the situation is? You know, if I'm working with someone or counseling someone and they are blowing all their family's money on a gambling addiction and they think it's just, eh, I should probably quit this soon, maybe. They don't understand how serious the situation is. And I would want to be very firm with them. I would want to really communicate how serious the situation is. On the other hand, if I'm like, you know, if I have our child is in school and they're crying because they got a B in math, they think the situation's more serious than it is. I'm not going to tell them, I can't believe you got a B in math. Get it together. 
I'm going to say it, it's not that big of a deal. It's just to be in math. It's not important. So this is the biggest determining factor in how for, firm or gentle you should be in a situation. Is Does the other person understand how serious the situation is? Second um, question you should ask, are they repentant? Like if it's a... If they're already repentant of something they did that was wrong, you don't necessarily need to be as firm with them. If they're not repentant about it, you probably want to be a bit more firm with them. A third thing to ask yourself to take into consideration, are they fearful that I'm going to reject them for this? You know, do they think oh, I messed up again. This person's going to not want to be friends with me anymore. You know, if that's the case, you might still need to be firm with them, but you can be firm and gentle at the same time. You can, tell, you can communicate how serious a situation is, and you can affirm your love for them and saying, but I forgive you and I'm here to help you. You can be firm and gentle at the same time. That's where this one's a bit different from the last one. You can't overlook something and confront someone at the same time. Or you can't not confront someone and confront them at the same time. But you can be firm and gentle at the same time. But to do that takes skill and thoughtfulness. Another thing I want to point out, firmness, which is a way we have to respond sometimes, is not fleshliness. There's a loving firmness. It's not an excuse to vent your anger however you please. Venting your anger however you please is sinful. That's not loving. Biblical firmness is loving. It's for the sake of helping the other person. So you need to be great. Don't act in anger. It's something we have to keep in mind. When you're firm with someone, it should always be out of love for that person. If you're really angry at someone, you might want to consider... Uh, putting off confronting them about something until you're not as angry about it. Because it can be easy to act out of that anger and let your anger control you, which is sin. Another thing to keep in mind, don't guilt trip people. Don't use shame to manipulate. God doesn't use shame to motivate his children. We shouldn't use shame to motivate people either. We want them to understand how serious the situation is, and um, if there's a change they need to make, it should be because of the situation is serious and a change needs made. You shouldn't have to motivate people using guilt or shame. God doesn't do that with his children, so we shouldn't do it with others. And lastly, I'd like to hope this is obvious, but don't communicate malice. Um, don't communicate that you want to hurt the other person. Don't want to hurt the other person. And if you're struggling with wanting to, don't communicate it. Um, we're going to have to wrap up a bit early on this one. Well, not early. I'm, I'm running over on my time a little bit, or I'm going to. But uh, I want to give like a minute, you know, I, I would like us to think about this. Take like a minute and think about this. Are, am I too, are you too 
um, too much one or the other? Do you tend to be too gentle? Do you tend to be too firm? Or do you have a pretty good balance? You know, take some time to think about it. What could you do to be more balanced if you're not as balanced as you would like to be? I, I want to give us just a minute to think about it, and please, like, write some ideas down if anything comes to mind. So we're just going to take, like, one minute of time to think about it. All right, so um, I was going to hope to get into the third area that we need to have balance in. I've got seven of them. I might have eight. But we are running low on time. Actually, I guess we have three minutes left. Let's, uh, is, are there any questions? We could have like three minutes. We might have time for one or two questions before we end. John Luke. Um, yeah, so if they, it, it depends on how you estimate they're going to respond, because that's a question about how prone to respond to rebuke they are. Um, if you think they're hard-hearted in such a way where they're more likely to hear you if you're more firm about it, that's probably a reason to be more firm about it. Um, it depends on what you mean by they don't respond to rebuke well. Like, some people don't respond to rebuke well if it's very firm. Some people don't respond to rebuke well if it's not firm. Uh, you kind of got to um, use your knowledge of the person. Uh, unfortunately, that is all we have time for, so let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, uh, thank you for this time to hear from your word. Thank you that you give us wisdom on the importance of being balanced. We pray that you would help us to be balanced, to have wisdom, to know you know, when's a time to overlook and when is a time to confront? We pray that we would have wisdom and balance on, you know, being firm and being gentle. We pray that you'd give us grace in these areas, and we thank you for your grace, and amen.